This morning, uh, we're continuing a, a very brief sermon series that Valerie started for us and planned for us. Uh, it's a three-week series. This is part two. And we're looking at emotionally healthy community today, but we're looking at this in the context of the importance of emotional health in the gospel, in the Bible, how God talks about this, how our whole beings, including our emotions, are important to God And they matter a great deal in terms of how we interact with one another. And so that's where we're going this morning. Uh, So to introduce uh, this series, a couple of weeks ago, we had a panel of mental health experts in our church who spoke about a variety of different things. So if you missed that, you'll want to check that out online. But during the Q&A section at the end, Caitlin asked a really good question. She asked, as if to tee me up for this sermon... She asked, what does emotionally healthy community look like? And our our panelists gave some really good answers. They talked about being vulnerable with one another, being real with one another. And I completely agree with what they said. And as you can imagine, the Bible has a lot to say about healthy community. So this morning, we're just going to scratch the surface at what the scripture has to say about emotionally healthy community. Now, it's not going to use that exact language, but you're going to see this morning that that's really what we're talking about, and that's what Scripture's pointing at for our context. And I really hope that just as we sort of scratched at the surface this morning, that this really serves as a starting point of conversations amongst all of you throughout the week, throughout, the, throughout this week, as well as weeks beyond, talking about what it looks like for our church, for new community, to specifically, what does it look like for us to specifically be an emotionally healthy and vibrant community? So in order to do this, we're going to go back to the beginning. And when I say beginning, I mean like the beginning because we're going to be looking in Genesis. Now, Valerie preached out of Exodus last week, and you thought she went way back. I'm telling you right now, we're going even farther back to Genesis chapter 2. Now, thankfully, most of you know where Genesis is. You don't tend to get stop your Bible reading before Genesis. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 15 through chapter 3, verse 20. So as you turn there, if you can stand with me, if you're able, for the reading of God's word this morning. I'll be reading out of the um, NRSV, but you can certainly follow along in whatever version you have in front of you. Again, this is Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and we're going through chapter 3, verse 20. So it's a long passage. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man... You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and all the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed uh, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her, her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all the animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pangs in childbirth exceedingly great. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread until you return, it, re, until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Verse 20. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife and clothed them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. May have a seat. I didn't even have to tell you you were ready to sit down. Let's let's pray together before we get into it. God, we just simply ask this morning that you would open your scripture to us. Teach us, Lord, whether it's about something very specific about community or just something you want us to see of yourself. Lord, give us an openness this morning to come before uh, your word humble. Come before your word open, ready to listen, and to take in and be transformed. So we thank you, God, that you have infused that your word is transformative. So we come before you in that posture this morning. We love you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when considering healthy community, I, I thought it made sense to look at what was the first human community. Now, the first actual community was the Godhead, right? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the first community. And then God creates Adam. And then, of course, there's God and Adam. And then God, then Adam and Eve. And then, of course, there is Adam and Eve as the first human 
community. So it's important to recognize just a couple things that are happening here. Number one, before sin, we see that God saw that Adam needed a companion. It's not good that man should be alone. That's what the scripture tells us. Because community among people is a necessary and good part of being human in God's ordered creation. Now, it's community, not marriage, right? It's community that we're talking about here, not marriage. Adam and Eve are the first couple and family, but companionship is really what this, is, what this passage is talking about. Not marriage, not an institution. It's about companionship. Second thing that to talk of the notice before we kind of get into more details is in verse 24, God outlines uh, his ideal for marriage. And that does not include children, right? According to the Bible, a marriage does not need children to be whole. And of course, children are gifts. I have two myself. And they are definitely a gift. But a marriage that doesn't have children is not incomplete. So now that I've dispelled those things, what are we talking about? The community we're talking about today is simply human beings in rela- being in relation to other human beings in what I'm going to call God's ordered creation. And I'll unpack that in a moment. According to this passage, community in God's ordered creation is anchored and is sustained by God's presence. When Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God, they chose to step out of God's ordered creation and then into chaos and disorder that exists outside of God's presence. Their choice was, of course, made in community, right? You see them blaming each other for what happened. Their choice was made in community, so they suffer the consequences in community as well. And, of course, we're dealing with those consequences still today, not just of their sin, but of ours, right? But in Jesus, we have access back to God's presence, back into the garden, back into God's ordered creation, And as God's church, today we live as God's community in his ordered creation when we are anchored and when we are sustained in God's creation and by his presence. So we will discuss two, just two characteristics of healthy community this morning. The first characteristic of God's community is being anchored in God's presence. It's being anchored in God's presence. The second characteristic of God's community is being sustained by God's presence. All right, so first, community in God's ordered creation is anchored in God's presence. There's a lot going on in these verses. We would be here a very long time if we tried to unpack all of that. We're just going to focus on a few things. And what I want to establish first is what I mean when we talk about God's presence. What does that mean? Well, in this account, and really throughout Scripture, what God's presence means is that God's favor and his protection are present there. So God's presence brings order, and this is why I'm calling it ordered creation. God's presence brings order, brings life, brings abundance, brings flourishing. These are all things that we see in the garden. In the creation account, God brings order in the midst of chaos. If you read the creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2, you see that this is true. God brings order out of what was chaos. God has an order to how he created. Now, that doesn't mean that God's rigid or inflexible, right? Rather, it just means that part of God's nature is to bring order in which life and flourishing are possible. 
So how things grow have an order to them as well. But they're not based on the creature's timing as much as we would like to. It's based on God's timing and God's will, right? So a plant, of course, doesn't dictate to God when it will flower, when it will give fruit. No, no, that's all God's ordered timing. And it lives in rhythm with that. So understanding God brings order and that he's also created our community as a good thing. I want to zero in on on a couple of things that are, are happening here, especially with regard to Adam and Eve's decisions to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's happening here is Adam and Eve, they chose, I should be clear, by the way, Eve doesn't have her name yet until chapter three, but to keep calling her the woman seems really off. So I'm just going to call her Eve. But to be clear, she's not named until after the fall. Okay. So Adam and Eve chose autonomy and independence from God. They were told not to eat from that tree. But here's the thing. We don't know that that was a permanent situation, right? At that time, God told them not to eat from it. But we don't know if that would have been forever. Now, we don't know that it wouldn't have been, but we don't know that it would have been. All we know is at that time, God instructed them not to eat from that tree. We don't know why either, which is a little frustrating. But that's what we're told in the, in the text. What we do know clearly is that they acted in opposition to what God had asked them to, in opposition to God's order. And they asserted their own autonomy and their own independence from God. Now, this story, as you read this, you've probably read this like a million times or heard it told a million times. It kind of has like this mythic quality about it. Right? I'm not saying it is a myth, but it has a sort of mythic quality to it. But I think the thing we can all relate to is what happened is that God told them that they weren't ready for something when they thought they were good and ready for it. Has this ever happened to you? You'd be lying to me if you, if you say this didn't happen to you. This happens to us all the time. The decision to disobey was to decide that God's timing just wasn't fast enough. I want to eat that delicious looking fruit and I want it now. And we forget what God told us. All right, when I was in my early 20s, I got, I got married when I was 30, like just 30. It was very upsetting at the time. But I, I, in my early 20s, I, I was ready to be married. I thought I was ready to be married. I was very impatient. So without making myself look too bad, and some of you knew me in my 20s, um, I'll just confess that God saved me from some poor decisions, okay? Like rebellious teenagers, and I know we don't have any of those in our church, But like rebellious teenagers, Adam and Eve thought they knew what was best for them. They thought they were ready to be more like God. They thought they were ready for the wisdom that that fruit would give them. And of course, they were not ready. It wasn't yet time for Adam and Eve to receive that good gift of discernment that came from eating from that tree. But this isn't about God withholding, right? It's about God knowing what was best for them. Just like God knew it was best for me to be single in my 20s. Because I was not mature enough to be a good husband. Maybe I'm getting closer to that now. So Adam and Eve, they asserted their independence, their agency to be separate and independent from God. And in doing so, they stepped out of God's order and out of God's timing. And what happened? They were banished. They were banished From the garden. And in being banished from the garden, they were removed from God's presence. In God's presence, again, there is life. There is order. Outside of God's presence, there's death. And there's destruction. 
because his favor and his protection were removed. They weren't all the way removed from them, as we'll talk about later, but they were. it wasn't the same. In other words, by disobeying God, Adam and Eve lost their intimate community that they had, ex- that had experienced with God in the garden, and they lost access to God's pr- presence in that way. The consequence of choosing to step out of God's order brought death for all of humanity and into creation, all of creation. The good news, of course, is that in Jesus, we are given access to God's presence. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection ushered us in Jesus back into the garden where God's presence reigns. Which means that in Jesus, it is possible for us to be community as God intended in his ordered creation. Where we were once sinners asserting our own independence and autonomy from God, we can now boast of our dependence on Jesus and boast of our freedom that we have in Christ. Knowing that on our own, we are lost and we are dead. But in Jesus, in depending on Jesus, we find true freedom. Instead of seeking power and knowledge for ourselves, we submit to the God of all knowledge and of all power. Instead of rushing into things on our own timelines, we rest in God's good timing and wait on the giver of all good gifts. Now, none of this is easy, but it is good. Amen, church? It is good. So the application here, as God's community, is to be in step with God's order. Now, this is the hard part. This means abiding by God's timing and trusting in his process and in his wisdom. So what does this mean for us? We, we prayed this morning for, for our building, right? We, we can't, this means we can't jump, jump the gun on, on buying a building, even when everything seems to be telling us, hey, this is, this is the one. We can't overcommit just because it looked good. We wait on God's timing. See, even when we're waiting, we don't, this discernment doesn't go out the window when you think you're going to acquire the thing, right? That would be like Adam, you know, he named the animals. This would be like him in the process of naming the animals and waiting for a companion, just getting tired, just being like, you know what? Tired of this waiting. Just, this duck-billed platypus can be my companion. Give it an awesome name. Looks kind of cool. What's not to like? I think I'll just make this my companion. This is ludicrous, right? And if we put it in those terms, we can see, no, this is ridiculous. Because being anchored in God's presence as a community means waiting on Jesus. And following, especially when the path is darkest and the future is most clouded. And it looks like praying together, listening to one another in the midst of that uncertainty. Not to rush to resolution, but to take baby steps forward in faith. Last weekend, uh, the church staff and our leadership team, we went on a 24-hour retreat together. And on it, we heard from God and we heard from each other. We shared our hopes. We shared our fears. We shared our anxieties about the facility, about many other things. And I have to say, this was just a perfect picture to me of an emotionally healthy community. We're not all best friends, but we were united in Christ in this, that we were rooted in God's presence together. And we didn't, we didn't come asking God to give us St. Ambrose. This was the church building we were thinking was going to be ours, and we don't know. But we didn't go asking for that specifically. No, instead we sought God's face together. Out of humility, 
and I'm just simply not knowing. Our desire was to be the church and to be the people that God wants to form us to be, not to finally just have a building to call home. God knows the desires of our hearts, and we should ask God for those things, but we need to be anchored in God's presence first. We don't want a new church building if the Holy Spirit isn't occupying it. We don't want that new job if it's outside of God's plan and timing for us. We don't want the Spirit, we don't want to move uh, geographically if the Spirit isn't going before us and preparing the way. And here's the thing, we need to be honest and we need to have loving community around us to be sounding boards and truth tellers when we are discerning these kinds of changes. We need community to know us and love Jesus. We need people who we give freedom to speak into our lives about prioritizing staying in God's presence and not pursuing our own autonomy and our own independence from God's will. Usually just because he's taking too long. Am I right? At least that's my problem with it a lot of times. I'm not immune to this. A few years ago, a way that we experienced a loving community was uh, my wife and I were, were sort of loosely house hunting. And we saw this house that we kind of liked. And you know how this works. Over time, we started talking ourselves into it. Like, you know, that's, I, think this, I think we can do this. I think it'll work. And we happen to have dinner with a, 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 a couple friend of ours in our church uh, who, we, who we've gotten to build trusting relationship with. We're telling them about this house. They kind of give us like this like, sideways look like wait a second none of this doesn't line up with any of the things you guys are prioritizing like why would you think this is it so very gently but very honestly they told us listen i don't think this is the one for you and you know what like the second they said it we realized realized it like oh right what what were we thinking and we just let it go right then and there and this is the power of community right we need people who just simply remind us that god has something better like this isn't the thing You need people like that. So the first characteristic of a community living in God's ordered creation is being anchored in God's presence. But we do this by depending on Jesus and by abiding by his timing. The second characteristic of a community living in God's ordered creation is being sustained by God's presence. See, by choosing their autonomy and their independence from God, Adam and Eve crossed a boundary that God gave them. The consequence of transgressing God's boundary, as we talked about earlier, was death. Now, death itself is bad enough, but along with death came its very, very long shadow. Death's very long shadow. The prospect of death now was introduced into the community. And what what does death bring? It brings anxiety, right? brings urgency it brings fear it brings worry and in the scripture we see anxiety was introduced into the birth process from difficulties conceiving all the way through safe delivery there's anxiety in tilling and harvesting the land there's anxiety in relationships now because of selfishness lack of communication codependence generational trauma and all these other consequences of living under the shadow of death But in the garden, in God's presence, there was no fear of death and there was no anxiety. But outside of his presence where God's favor and his protection were not present in the same way, death looms large and anxieties abound. I don't think you need me to give you many specific examples 
of how anxiety infiltrates our lives. Anxieties haunt individuals. They, they stress families. They tax organizations and churches. But the answer to anxiety isn't to stop worrying. Does that, does that ever work? It's never worked for me. It's not to stop worrying. The answer to anxiety is to know that Jesus is with us in our anxieties. This doesn't mean that the source of those anxieties goes away, unfortunately. But it does mean that in the midst of those, we're still able to point to Jesus. And we're still able to find strength in the Holy Spirit and in the community that God has given us. To share, very frankly, about those anxieties about the ways that these things are are seeking to tear us away, but to also proclaim the truth that these anxieties do not own us. They do not own us. We struggle with them, but we don't belong to them. They do not own us. And because sin is pervasive in the world, death and anxiety are inescapable realities of life. However, as Christians who belong to Jesus, who conquered sin and death, we are able to be non-anxious presences in some very anxiety-provoking times. And part of how we can be non-anxious presences is by living within God's good boundaries. By living within God's good boundaries. Living in step with God's boundaries helps us to stay in God's presence. See, God gave Adam and Eve permission to eat from any tree except for that one tree. God gave Adam authority to name the animals. But for God's good reasons, that one tree was off limits. And God gave Adam authority to name the animals. But he didn't give Adam authority to tell the animals what to do. He didn't say which kind of climates they should live in. He didn't tell them what to eat. In other words, God gave Adam limited authority gave him limited authority. He gave him boundaries for what it means to be human in God's ordered creation. And within those boundaries, we are sustained by God's presence. When we try to overextend ourselves past, past those boundaries, so we start taking on more than we're meant to and more than we were created to. Uh, in college, uh, there's a, a pastor, one of the pastors in my church had a, a very young boy. He was a toddler, so he was probably like a year and a half or whatever. I'm watching him. He's like toddling in, uh, in like the foyer area of a church, right? He's like getting close to like a couple of, of, of stairs. I see him kind of toddle. And his dad's watching him from like a, for, for me, felt like too far away, okay? But he's watching him. And like literally the step before the boy would fall down the stairs, he, his dad came in and scooped him up. And that, this is a long time ago now, and that, that, that image has stayed with me. And what it reminds me of is that God's given us some really good boundaries that we simply are not ready to cross. That boy was ready to walk on flat land, okay? He was not ready for those stairs. I don't know if he was going for the stairs or what, but the point being, there's a boundary there, and God was, or his father was protecting him from it. And God is protecting us oftentimes when we think we're ready for something, and we plainly are not We have to remember our creatureliness, if that's a word, in order to recognize that our creator's boundaries are good. We're created from dust, which is something God reminds Adam of. He says, I created you from dust. Now, God loves us, and he gave us special status as his image bearers, but we are not God. We are far from it. 
We are most human when we are thriving within the good, ba- good boundaries that God has given us. So here's an example. We look at the first community, and we, and we, we give Adam and Eve a lot of, you know, just kids here. The, we, we, we give them a lot of, we say bad things about them a lot of times. Ah, oh, they sinned. I wouldn't have done that. But we also see before the fall that there were some good indications of what a healthy community looks like. In verse 18, uh, the word helper is used here. Now, this is referring to something like a counterpartner, if you can imagine another made-up word. Uh, there's no tone of domination or subservience here. In fact, this word helper is used often in the Old Testament to refer to God. And God is certainly underneath no one. Amen? So this is not about subservience. This is not about any sort of hierarchy. What this word helper is referring to is a companion, is a partner. It's, it's an equal. But they were, Adam and Eve were created differently to reflect God's vastness in very different ways. So this passage, to be clear, does not affirm traditional gender roles, okay? But in outlining the consequences of sin in chapter, in chapter 3, uh, God, you got to look at the language very carefully. God wasn't punishing Adam and Eve. What God was simply doing in, 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 in kind of laying out what the curses were is simply the inevitabilities of living in a dying world. This is now what happens because sin is in the equation, In order for human life to continue, women need to give birth, and so men are required. Because of the significantly increased pain and anxieties of the birth process, women are now reliant on men for that biological imperative to survive and grow. See, away from God's presence in an environment living under death's shadow, bringing human life into the world became increasingly and incredibly difficult and dangerous. Because God's favor and protection were not as fully present outside of the garden as they were in the garden. To make things worse, men have come to exploit this biological dynamic into an oppressive system of patriarchy. But before the fall, we see God's intention for community and for marriage, and these were good. To to quote one scholar, he said, women, or sorry, woman, was taken from man's side to be by his side. Woman was taken from man's side to be by his side. There's an equality here. Patriarchy and and the oppressive systems it birthed are byproducts of death and a lack of God's presence. But by God's grace in Jesus, we are welcomed back into God's presence. Christian communities can be like Eden Women and men can live and work side by side without exploitation, without abuse. But we can live within the good boundaries that God created for us. Now, this is an illustration that came by way of my daughter like 30 minutes before I preached. Georgia was drawing something, and I asked her, what was she drawing? She said she drew a garden. I'm like, look at God. So, <laughs> and she signed her name. You probably can't see it, but she signed her name here. So online folks maybe see it. So Jojo drew a picture of a garden. Isn't it beautiful? See, this is, this is what we, we, we get to enter back into in Jesus, right? Into the beauty of the garden. Not sure how to pivot away from that. It was just, yeah, unplanned, but I had to share it. All right, so, so as we kind of talk about applications for this, I want to use uh, Pete Scazzaro's definition of boundaries, and we'll see this uh, as we go through Emotionally Healthy Uh, spirituality as a church and Bible study, he says, boundaries are the realization that I am a separate person apart from others. 
boundaries show where you end and someone else begins. And with proper boundaries, I know what I am and am not responsible for. What I am and am not responsible for. So understanding these boundaries means we don't take on more than we ought to take on. For you, this might mean getting a little bit of distance from people who are just very draining on your time and your energy. You can love them, but you can love them with boundaries. It might mean delegating at work because you just have too much on your plate. Or having a frank conversation with your boss about the unreasonable workload that's been put on you. This might be hardest of all. For those of you who have a hard time saying no, it means starting to discern when it's time to start saying no. Even when it's church. Okay? That was a little too too emphatic there, John. (laughs) Even when it's church. (laughs) I can tell you for certain, new community doesn't expect or want you to serve beyond what is good and appropriate. We don't. Living within boundaries means embracing our limits. Living within boundaries means creating margin in our calendars. It's hard, but you know what? We have to accept the fact that we're time-bound people, okay? We are time-bound, and that's a good thing. We are meant to sleep. (laughs) We are meant to rest. We're not meant to work or even to play nonstop. Our bodies need these things. We were created in a good way to sleep, And if you don't make time for community, we can't participate in the ways that will nourish us. You know, if you say, ah, it's a hard hard time. I'm not saying it's your fault. But sometimes it's just we're overstuffed. We have too much going on. And what happens? You will miss out on community. But hey, you know what? The community also misses you. When you're not there, we miss out. And that's real. And that's important. You're an important part of this community. All that to say, you should stick around for potluck. Uh, it's the easiest thing to stay for, right? Food. All right. So um, the second characteristic of community living in God's ordered creation is being sustained by God's presence, by living in God's good boundaries. I've been talking a lot about Jesus as God's answer to the fall. And, of course, Jesus is the answer. But God didn't wait until Jesus to show mercy and grace to Adam and Eve, nor to us as their descendants. In the last verse, um, and actually it's 321, God clothes Adam and Eve because it's cold outside of the garden. It's cold outside of God's presence. But he clothes them. He showed them mercy. Now here's the thing, right? God could have been, would have been well within his rights at that point. Just be like, I'm starting over, right? Just forget these guys. Let's just, you know, 2.0. Let's, let's, let's see if they'll do better. Right? But God doesn't give up. That's not, that's not his nature. He could have said, they disobeyed me. They ate that tr- from that tree. They declared their autonomy from me. Right? But no, God doesn't give up on Adam and Eve. And he doesn't give up on us. So God's response is the same to them as it is to us today. His favor never fully left people. Thank God his favor never fully left people. And for those of us in Jesus, we stand in God's favor again. So if you are not Christian this morning, the invitation that God is putting before you is to enter his community that is filled with his favor, his protection, his love, his order, his flourishing.
If you are a Christian, you are invited to more fully live into God's favor as part of God's community. And within the good boundaries that God has given us, we are now counter partners with one another who need to prioritize and carve out time to do life together, to speak into each other's lives, to protect each other, to listen to God together. We belong to the God of abundance, so we don't have to rush around or fear running out of time or resources. We can love generously without exploiting one another, without abusing one another. We believe in God's order and timing so we can wait patiently. This is so hard for me, but wait patiently as God fulfills his promises to you, to me, to our church, and to all of his people. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are so forgiving, (laughs) so merciful. That when we stray, when we choose to stray, yet you, you, do not, you do not abandon us. God, I thank you that you, in Jesus, have, have given us access back to the garden, to your presence, to your favor, to your protection, to your love, to your order. God, I thank you that we can stand in that and we can testify and, and we are witnesses to this world that is under the shadow of death. That abides by death, that does what death does but in jesus we stand apart and we we invite people out of death into your abundance and so thank you god that you've given us uh that you've shown us the grace and the and the mercy to 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 accept that invitation but now as your people lord god help us to see beyond ourselves help us to see how you are working and moving in those difficult choices that we are facing give us wisdom to see and to wait and to and to and to bring in trusted people to to discern that with us give us eyes to see those who who need that invitation in our workplaces in our families in our neighborhoods in our grocery stores wherever it is god the people who are under death's shadow that you are inviting into the light into your life Lord God, use your church um, to, to usher those folks in. So God, we thank you. We thank you so much for, for your goodness, for your, your generosity to us. That it didn't end with Genesis 3. But there is all of scripture and generations testifying to your goodness. And we are part of that lineage and we are grateful and we are thankful, Lord. So help us to live more fully into being in your presence as healthy community this week, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You sustain us, so we we submit to you. It's in Jesus' powerful, anchoring, and sustaining name that we pray. Amen.